Welcome to the Trucking Market Update on the State of Freight Podcast, brought to you by FTR, where we share timely transportation intelligence with you on a weekly basis. The Trucking Market Update is hosted by FTR's Vice President of Trucking, Avery Weiss. As Avery presents the information in the podcast, you can follow along and review the graphs and indicators by downloading the PDF or PowerPoint of the presentation from our podcast landing page. A link to the PDF and PowerPoint is available now at www.ftrintel.com podcast. From there, you can also find past episodes and downloads for the Trucking Market Update, as well as the weekly rail market update with Todd Tronowski and much more. That link again is www.ftrintel.com podcast. Welcome to FTR's weekly Trucking Market Update. I'm Avery Weiss, Vice President of Trucking. This is episode 76 for the week of August 24th, 2020. Before we start, a reminder that you can download a PDF with graphics related to this discussion at www.ftrintel.com podcast. You can also download a PowerPoint presentation that includes images of those same charts you can use in your own presentations. Before we dig into the data, I wanted to mention one news item of note, which is a complaint filed with the Federal Maritime Commission by the American Trucking Associations. ATA argues that the Ocean Carrier Equipment Management Association and 11 ocean carriers have overcharged motor carriers and their customers for intermodal container chassis at ports and inland terminals throughout the U.S. By limiting motor carriers' choice of equipment providers, ATA argues, ocean carriers have forced trucking companies and their customers to subsidize nearly $1.8 billion of those ocean carriers' costs in just the last three years. We'll certainly be watching this case as it proceeds. Okay, let's start with the data by looking at newly released revenue figures for the trucking industry during the second quarter of this year. And I don't think a spoiler alert is necessary here. We all know that that was a bad piece of information that we got. Not seasonally adjusted revenues for truck transportation fell 15.2% year over year in the second quarter. 15.2% is three times, more than three times actually, the biggest year-over-year decline for any quarter in the Census Bureau's reporting. Now that said, there is a bit of an asterisk here, and that is that the Census Bureau didn't start collecting this data until 2009, so there is no year-over-year comparison for the worst period of the Great Recession. Still, it's a pretty good bet that the drop in revenues in Q2 was deeper than in any quarter of the Great Recession. In fact, total revenues were the lowest for any quarter since the first quarter of 2016. The picture, of course, is quite different for local delivery or what the government calls couriers and messengers. That segment was fortunate enough to benefit from the pandemic rather than suffer from it. Not seasonally adjusted revenues for couriers and messengers were up 12.6% year-over-year, and that is by far the largest gain on record. Indeed, the closest competitor was the fourth quarter of 2014, which saw a year-over-year gain of 9.3%. 
Total revenues also were the highest on record, edging out the fourth quarter of last year. On a not seasonally adjusted basis, the fourth quarter for couriers and messengers has always been the strongest quarter of the year, which of course is not too surprising given that it is so closely tied to the holiday spending period. That might still prove to be the case this year, but there is definitely a chance that Q2 will top this year because of the pandemic. So the good news for trucking is that it's pretty clear that the third quarter will be better in revenues uh, than the second quarter was. And that brings us to the spot market for the week ended August 21st, which is week 33. This last week saw the strongest growth in spot load volume in six weeks, suggesting that the surge that began in mid-May and accelerated in June might have just taken a breather in July and the early part of August. With not just one but two tropical storms, one of which likely will become a hurricane, potentially hitting the Louisiana and or Texas coast this week, the spot market could easily see a fourth straight record in the market demand index. Although anticipation of and preparation for Marco and Laura also might have contributed to the third straight record MDI during the last week. Spot load postings in the truckstop.com system rose 9.7% during week 33 for the strongest volume in more than two years. Meanwhile, truck postings declined resulting in another all-time high for the MDI, which is the ratio of load postings to truck postings in the system. Load volumes in the key segments of dry van, refrigerated, and flatbed were all higher week over week. After outpacing dry van and refrigerated in week 32, with volume that was just barely above flat, because after all, dry van and refrigerated were down, The flatbed segment again led in growth, but this time substantially so. Total load volume for the market was 66% higher than the same week last year and 94% above the five-year average. Meanwhile, truck postings were down 3.4%, resulting in the big jump in MDI, which we mentioned earlier. Drive-in loads increased 8.8% from the prior week, Dry van volume essentially was double what it was during the same week last year and even more than double the five-year average. Dry van loads did not quite match the level in the final week of June 2018, but they otherwise were stronger than any week on record. Loads were up in all regions. The largest increase by far was 46% in the Mountain Central region, but that's also the smallest region by far. As with the total market demand index, the Drive-In MDI posted its third consecutive record. Drive-In has posted five MDIs since late June that were all-time highs at the time they were recorded. Refrigerated spot loads were up 5.8% over the prior week. Volume was about 36% higher than last year and about 66% above the five-year average. Refrigerated load postings in week 33 were the second highest of the year, exceeded only by the extraordinary volume during the peak of the March restocking push. All regions posted solid gains. Truck postings were down, 
which helped push the refrigerated MDI to its second all-time high in three weeks. Flatbed spot loads rose 12.1%, the largest week-over-week increase since week 27. Loads were nearly 69% higher than last year and about 96% above the five-year average. Volume did not quite match that in week 10, but it was close. The only region not to see double-digit growth week over week was the south-central region where loads were up more than 7%. Flatbed truck availability was down by the largest percentage since week 26, resulting in a sharp increase in the flatbed MDI when coupled with a strong increase in loads. The broker posted rate per mile, excluding fuel surcharges, was up slightly, about one and a half cents. Rates were about 21% above last year and nearly 14% above the five-year average. Despite solid load growth and another record MDI, dry van rates actually were down about 1.3 cents. Still, drive-in rates were nearly 35% above last year and about 26% above the five-year average. Refrigerated rates were up nearly $0.03 and were nearly 22% above last year and nearly 18% higher than the five-year average. Flatbed rates were up about $0.02 a mile and were nearly 19% higher than the same 2019 week and more than 10% above the five-year average. Okay, so let's talk about petroleum and fuel briefly. We are still in the low $40 per barrel range with West Texas Intermediate Crude. In fact, since August 11th, WTI Crude has closed between $42 and $43 a barrel during every trading session. Meanwhile, diesel prices remain essentially stuck in place. Over the past nine weeks, The largest weekly increase has been seven-tenths of a cent, and the largest weekly decrease has been six-tenths of a cent. The past two weeks saw the price drop by just a tenth of a cent each week. The net price change today compared to nine weeks ago also is just one-tenth of one cent. So if you hadn't gotten the point already, diesel prices are just freaking stable. It's the kind of environment we really haven't seen since the 1990s, when it was quite common to go for months at a time without a single week's price increasing by even a penny. Oddly, that dynamic ended almost exactly when the 1990s themselves ended. Occasional changes in the price of more than one cent started in 1999, and by early 2000, it started to become quite commonplace. Then, of course, we saw Hurricanes Katrina and Rita in 2005, And that led to price increases in a single week that were almost as large as the difference between the lowest diesel price in the 1990s and the highest diesel price in the 1990s. Uh, Keeping in mind, though, that the Energy Information Administration did not begin collecting diesel price data until March of 1994. Okay, enough of that history lesson. Uh, I actually forgot to mention the actual diesel price for the week ended August 24th. It was $2.42.6 a gallon. Given that we have two major storm systems potentially striking East Texas this week, I would not be at all surprised if we finally saw a significant increase in the price of diesel. 
I guess we will actually see. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about the labor situation. It's really not changing much, at least on a weekly basis. The Labor Department reported that initial claims for unemployment benefits during the week ended August 15th were back above 1 million seasonally adjusted and close to levels at the end of July. Continued claims fell by 636,000 to 14.8 million for the week ended August 8th. That data lags by a week. Another 11.2 million non-payroll workers received benefits under the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program. And there's 1.3 million people who have exhausted their eligibility for normal benefits but are covered by the federally funded Pandemic Emergency Unemployment Compensation Program, or PEUC. So if you add the 14.8 and the 11.2 million and the 1.3 million together, you get a little over 27 million people who were still getting $600 a week in federal benefits before they lapsed on August 1st. The Lost Wages Assistance Program, which President Trump created in the absence of a legislative response to this situation, is providing $600 a week in federal benefits to those people who are in states that apply for and obtain grants. States can kick in another $100 if they choose. Either way, the payments are retroactive to August 1st for those already unemployed on that date. Newly unemployed people will get payments starting on the date of their unemployment. As of August 24th, 29 states had been approved for LWA grants, including most of the nation's largest states, California, New York, Texas, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, for example. Of those 29 states, however, only Kentucky and Montana have chosen to supplement the $300 federal payment with a $100 payment of their own. So those two, two states aside, even if all states participate in the LWA program, the cash flow in the economy would be reduced by about $8 billion a week relative to what it had been before August. And that, of course, is as long as the funding lasts. There's only $44 billion available for this program, which is funded by a, a FEMA disaster relief fund. At full participation, that $44 billion would last only six weeks. However, most people expect the program to last uh, long enough for Congress and the White House to strike a deal on another round of rescue and stimulus. There's one other caveat here, too, is that there is a uh, there is a trigger which the program stops if overall disaster relief funds fall below a certain level. Uh, frankly, I'm not sure how close we are to that, but given, again, that we have um, two tropical storms, one of which may, may be a hurricane when it hits the coast, um, coming in, in a fairly heavily populated area of the country, um, it's possible that this program could end not because the $44 billion is, is exhausted, but because of other triggers in the program. Okay, moving on. Uh, as I noted earlier, we have only a few economic indicators to cover this week, and they're all centered on the housing market, uh, either construction or purchasing. Uh, 
So let's start with purchasing. First, mortgage rates have ticked up very slightly above the record low rate set in early August. Uh, the rate on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, however, is still very attractive at 2.99%. And those mortgage rates certainly are one factor in the astounding recovery in the housing market. The National Association of Realtors reported that sales of existing single-family homes jumped 23.9% in July. Indeed, the recovery has been so strong that sales in July were nearly 10% above those in February, seasonally adjusted. The inventory of homes at the current sales rate is a very lean three months. By the way, we'll talk about sales of new homes next week. As a reminder, though, through June, those sales were 8% ahead of February. So with sales of both new and existing homes so strong and mortgage rates so low, it's not surprising that residential construction also is booming. Housing starts in July were up nearly 23%. They're still down 4.5% from February, but that's a little bit of a misleading statistic because residential construction had started to boom right before the pandemic. A more telling comparison is that starts are up about the same year over year as they were over June, 23%. Another reassuring factor is, or, or reassuring metric is that permits for future residential construction also were up strongly, rising nearly 19%. And in fact, housing permits are ahead of February by 4%. So if we look at all of the housing construction and housing sales metrics, they're quite strong. Finally, I want to close out by talking about an issue that we, we sort of touched on early in this conversation uh, when we were talking about revenues for the local delivery segment, and that is e-commerce. So last year, the Census Bureau started publishing what it calls an experimental product to provide detailed data on e-commerce sales. Uh, we got the second quarter data last week, and e-commerce sales were up more than 44% year-over-year in the second quarter. If we dig down and look at the, the details, some of the increases are just incredible. Uh, E-commerce sales in health and personal care and in sporting goods, hobby, musical instrument and books more than doubled. In food and beverage e-commerce sales more than tripled. They were up 220%. Now, that said, these categories still represent tiny shares of all e-commerce sales. Uh, those three categories together account for just 6.4% of all e-commerce sales, according to the Census Bureau. The largest shares of e-commerce, general merchandise and clothing, were up about 82% and 44% respectively. I want to provide some warning about this data, though. The data clearly has some gaps. For example, if you add up all the detailed, you only get to about 46% of the total. So, it's really more of, a, of something to kind of pay attention to uh, than it is to uh, take to the bank, I guess. Um, so with that, uh, that's uh, this week's podcast. Let's recap. Trucking revenues suffer, suffered their largest quarterly decline on record. 
spot market volume rises as market imbalance hit another record. Crude prices are stable in the lower $40 per barrel range. Diesel prices have barely changed over the past nine weeks. First-time unemployment claims climbed back above 1 million. Continued claims for unemployment eased to 14.8 million. Sales of existing single-family homes surged nearly 24% in July. Housing starts jumped nearly 23% in July. Permits authorized for future home construction rose nearly 19%. And e-commerce sales surged more than 44% year-over-year in the second quarter, with the growth led by food and beverage. So that's it for FTR's Trucking Market Update, Episode 76, for the week of August 24th, 2020. As always, you can download PDF and PowerPoint files accompanying this discussion at www.ftrintel.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we hope you will join us next week. You can find more publicly available state of freight content and download the PDF and PowerPoint of today's presentation by going to www.ftrintel.com podcast. FTR is the leader in freight transportation forecasting in North America, providing consistently reliable reports for trucking, rail, and intermodal transportation, as well as providing demand analysis for commercial vehicle and rail car. For more information about the work of FTR, visit www.ftrintel.com or call us at 888-988-1699 to find out which publications will best support your business. Thank you.